Book six, preface of On the Education of an Orator by Quintilian, translated by H. E. Butler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book six, preface. I undertook my present task, Marcellus Victorious, mainly to gratify your request, but also with a view to assist the more earnest of our young men as far as lay in my power, while latterly, the energy with which I have devoted myself to my labors has been inspired by the almost imperative necessity imposed by the office conferred on me, though, all the while, I have had an eye to my own personal pleasure. For I thought that this work would be the most precious part of the inheritance that would fall to my son, whose ability was so remarkable that it called for the most anxious cultivation on the part of his father. Thus, if as would have been but just and devoutly to be wished, the fate had torn me from his side, he would still have been able to enjoy the benefit of his father's instruction. Night and day I pursued this design, and strove to hasten its completion, in the fear that death might cut me off with my task unfinished, when misfortune overwhelmed me with such suddenness that the success of my labors now interests no one less than myself. A second bereavement has fallen upon me, and I have lost him of whom I had formed the highest expectations, and in whom I reposed all the hopes that should solace my old age. What is there left for me to do? Or what further use can I hope to be on earth when heaven thus frowns upon me? For it so chances that just at the moment when I began my book on the causes of the decline of eloquence, I was stricken by a like affliction. Better had I thrown that ill-omened work and all my ill-starred learning upon the flames of that untimely pyre that was to consume the darling of my heart, and had not sought to burden my unnatural persistence in this wicked world with the fatigue of fresh labors. For what father, with a spark of proper feeling, would pardon me for having the heart to pursue my researches further, and would not hate me for my insensibility? Had I other use for my voice than to rail against high heaven, for having suffered me to outlive all my nearest and dearest, and to testify that providence deigns not at all to watch over this earth of ours. If this is not proved by my own misfortune, and yet my only fault is that I still live, it is most surely manifest in theirs, who were cut off thus untimely. Their mother was taken from me earlier still. She had borne me two sons ere the completion of her nineteenth year. But for her, though she too died most untimely, death was a blessing. Yet for me, her death alone was such a blow, that thereafter no good fortune could bring me true happiness. For she had every virtue that is given to a woman to possess, and left her husband prey to irremediable grief. Nay, so young was she when death took her, that if her age be compared with mine, her decease was like the loss not merely of a wife, but of a daughter." Still, her children survived her, and I, too, lived on, by some unnatural ordinance of fate, 
which, for all its perversity, was what she herself desired. And thus, by her swift departure from this life, she escaped the worst of tortures. My youngest boy was barely five when he was the first to leave me, robbing me, as it were, of one of my two eyes. I have no desire to flaunt my woes in the public gaze, nor to exaggerate the cause I have for tears. With that, I had some means to make it less. But how can I forget the charm of his face, the sweetness of his speech, his first flashes of promise, and his actual possession of a calm and, incredible though it may seem, a powerful mind? Such a child would have captivated my affections even had he been another's. Nor was this all. To enhance my agony, the malignity of designing fortune had willed that he should devote all his love to me, preferring me to his nurses, to his grandmother, who brought him up, and all those who, as a rule, win the special affection of infancy. I am, therefore, grateful to the grief that came to me some few months before his loss in the death of his mother, the best of women, whose virtues were beyond all praise for I have less reason to weep my own fate than to rejoice at hers. After these calamities, all my hopes, all my delight were centered on my little Quintilian, and he might have sufficed to console me, for his gifts were not merely in the bud like those of his brother. As early as his ninth birthday he had put forth sure and well-formed fruit. By my own sorrows, by the testimony of my own sad heart, by his departed spirit, the deity at whose shrine my grief does worship, I swear that I discerned in him such talent, not merely in receiving instruction, although in all my wide experience I have never seen his like, nor in his power of spontaneous application, to which his teachers can bear witness, but such upright, pious, humane and generous feelings, as alone might have sufficed to fill me with the dread of the fearful thunderstroke that has smitten me down. For it is a matter of common observation that those who ripen early die young, and that there is some malign influence that delights in cutting short the greatest promise, and refusing to permit our joys to pass beyond the bound allotted to mortal men. He possessed every incidental advantage as well, a pleasing and resonant voice, a sweetness of speech, and the perfect correctness in pronouncing every letter, both in Greek and Latin, as though either were his native tongue. But all these were but the promise of greater things. He had finer qualities, courage and dignity, and the strength to resist both fear and pain. What fortitude he showed during an illness of eight months, till all his physicians marveled at him. How he consoled me during his last moments. How even in the wanderings of delirium did his thoughts recur to his lessons and his literary studies, even when his strength was sinking and he was no longer ours to claim. Child of my vain hopes, did I see your eyes falling in death? and your breath take its last flight? Had I the heart to receive your fleeting spirit as I embraced your cold pale body, and to live on breathing the common air? 
justly do I endure the agony that now is mine, and the thoughts that torment me. Have I lost you, at the moment when adoption by a counsellor had given hope that you would rise to all the high offices of state, when you were destined to be the son-in-law of your uncle, the praetor, and gave promise of rivaling the eloquence of your grandsire? And do I, your father, survive only to weep? May my endurance, not my will to live, for that is gone from me, prove me worthy of you through all my remaining years. For it is in vain that we impute all our ills to fortune. No man grieves long save through his own fault. But I still live, and must find something to make life tolerable, and must needs put faith in the verdict of the wise, who held that literature alone can provide true solace in adversity. Yet, if ever the violence of my present grief subside, and admit the intrusion of some other thought on so many sorrowful reflections, I may, with good cause, ask pardon for the delay in bringing my work to completion. Who can wonder that my studies have been interrupted, when the real marvel is that they have not been broken off altogether? Should certain portions, therefore, betray a lack of finish, compared with what was begun in the days when my affliction was less profound, I would ask that the imperfection should be regarded with indulgence, as being due to the cruel tyranny of fortune, which, if it has not utterly extinguished, has, at any rate, weakened such poor powers of intellect as I once possessed. But, for this very reason, I must rouse myself to face my task with greater spirit, since it is easy to despise fortune, though it may be hard to bear her blows. For there is nothing left that she can do to me, since out of my calamities she has wrought for me a security which, full of sorrow though it be, is such that nothing can shake it. And the very fact that I have no personal interest in persevering with my present work, but am moved solely by the desire to serve others, if indeed anything that I write can be of such service, is a reason for regarding my labors with an indulgent eye. Alas, I shall bequeath it, like my patrimony, for others than those to whom it was my design to leave it. End of preface.